I'm here today with Tim Muldoon and Mac McCarter, authors of a new book titled How Do We Make the World Neighborhood by Neighborhood. Mac McCarter is the founder and coordinator of Community Renewal International. Before returning in 1994 to his native Shreveport to implement this vision, Mac pastored churches in Texas for 18 years. There are now more than 50,000 We Care team members in every state and 41 nations. Ten cities in the United States are reproducing the Shreveport model of connecting caring people, changing lives, and transforming communities. Mac and his wife, Judy, live in Shreveport and Washington, D.C. Tim Muldoon teaches in the philosophy department of Boston College. and is the author or co-author of 10 books, including The Ignatian Workout, and his, with his wife, Sue, The Discerning Parent. His books and essays are used frequently in college courses, faculty discussion groups, and retreats. He and Sue reside outside of Boston. And if you want to learn about these guys and their new book, go to orbisbooks.com. So welcome, gentlemen, and uh, congratulations on all of your wonderful work. Thank you, Brad. Brian. Great to be here. So to get started, maybe each of you can just share us a little bit more about your background than I kind of briefly touched on. Max, sure. you go first. You're you're the oh, you're the, you're the right. genius here. All right, and uh, you know, I was born in Brian. I was born and reared here in Shreveport, Louisiana, uh, in 1945, and grew up in a radically uh, segregated, a radically segregated community, and uh, even the uh, NAACP had been outlawed by city ordinance here. Mm. Uh, so when I say radically segregated, uh, it was a tough place to grow up uh, if you are uh, an African-American. And so consequently, the wonderful thing and gift that I was given in my life was that my mom and dad, uh, who moved here in 1945 uh, from Texas, actually understood our Christian faith. And they instilled deeply within me that every single human being was precious and to be treasured. And uh, so it was that plumb line from the, from the get-go that literally uh, gave me life. And when you have that plumb line of love and, um, and of seeking the good of others in your life, then you you also then begin to notice, uh, and especially here in Shreveport, vast um, incursions as as to the rightness of that line in terms of social justice. And so, even from a little boy, uh, it wasn't my goodness; it was the plumb line of God's kingdom placed within me that mm. enabled that to happen. And so that was always uh, very, very much. I mean, I was still, I was still uh, a, a male child with all of the foibles that you could have and all the ups and downs. So I don't want to present anything that looks just, you know, <laughs> just sparkling goodness because it ain't there. But the, the great thing is, is that, um, uh, the desire for a world in which we are one uh, was planted and nurtured in my life uh, in the midst of this uh, place that was a little bit barren, uh, you know, of loving kindness for one another. And so uh, at the age of 16, uh, I was called to serve that kingdom. And the only paradigm that I had, of course, was was the institutional church. And uh, so that's, I, I went to uh, college and seminary and went into the ministry full time. And my life, my last year uh, in seminary, I really felt called to come back to Shreveport mm. and to do what I'm doing now to, in terms of healing the divides uh, you know, and giving my life to do that. But I had no paradigm, you know, for that kind of work. Um, I know there were many paradigms, but I didn't I didn't have them. And so I went ahead and went in and began to pastor uh, local congregations. 
And then in 1981, uh, my mentor was a great Quaker philosopher named D. Elton Trueblood, uh, who had was a great hero. And uh, Dr. Trueblood, he was the author of 33 books, and wow. he was an incredible guy. He, he sent me Arnold Toynbee's 12-volume work on uh, a study of history, and in the third volume, on October the 27th, 1981, I read the words that uh, he had hoped I would read, that society is a system of relationships. And when I read those words, I stood straight up and I went, my gosh, if that's true, then this world can be healed. Mm -hmm. Because as a pastor, I knew that relationships uh, had rules that were just as ineluctable as the laws of gravity. And if we obeyed those relationship rules, then we would grow together. And if we disobeyed them, then, of course, we would end up in dysfunction. And so it was um, it was seeking practical ways to apply to whole societies what I had been doing in pastoral counseling, mm -hmm. uh, the rules uh, of how to come together, how to forgive, how to grow together to become one and watching amazing uh, brokenness being healed by trebly amazing love. And so consequently, in seeing that, uh, I went, wow, uh, if the basis of society is indeed uh, relationships, and I've added positive relationships, then we have to find a way to find practical application of the rules of relationship to whole cities, whole societies, so consequently, I came back to Shreveport in 1991 now to think through a paradigm that can bring together what appeared to be 300,000 uh, uh, different types of uniqueness and separateness and how do we come together as one. And that is, what do we share in common? And it's the capacity to care for one another. So community renewal is really the uh, ongoing um, applicable methodology to bring together folks in that commonality while celebrating and enhancing our own uniqueness together. So that's wow. kind of the general story. Wow. Well, we'll talk more about CRI in a minute, that, that, but that's an amazing story. Um, Tim, how about you? Tell folks a little bit, if you could, about your background. Yeah, well, I mean, I wanted Max to go first because uh, it allows me to say, so that's why I was attracted to it. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> the, the the quick answer is that it's such a compelling story. But but my own backstory is I'm, I'm, a, I'm trained as a systematic theologian. I've been teaching for 25 years. Um, I had a classic academic track. So, you know, in, in many ways, um, Max's story is very different from mine. Um, you know, I, I just thought of myself as, as somebody trying to leverage my own learning and my own encounter with the philosophical and theological traditions of the West for thinking positively about how to live well uh, in the contemporary world that we live in. I started teaching theology in 1997, and very quickly I was moving away from kind of, you know, what is kind of caricatured as the ivory tower, but the idea that, you know, theologians are just kind of thinking thoughts that don't have much connection to the real world. And, and very quickly, um, I was uh, learning that my students were asking very different questions. They were asking questions about just how to have a life. Uh, this was in rural Pennsylvania. Uh, I taught at a small college called Mount Aloysius, small mercy institution that served uh, families that had been affected by the economic changes of the 70s, 80s, um, 90s, in especially coal and steel. And, and so we're talking second career folks. I had non-traditional students who had been truck drivers. I had people uh, that were, you know, starting from scratch, trying to rebuild their lives. And so, I, you know, theology for them and philosophy, these, these were just abstractions that maybe didn't have a whole lot of relevance. And so what really, I think, was the first fire that was lit in, in my heart was the question, how does this tradition and, and how does, you know, this, this vast learning that I had been exposed to throughout my undergraduate and graduate years, um, how does it speak to just the ordinary desires of, of men and women and children to just have a good life, to live in community, to 
uh, build relationships to, um, you know, to, to have good lives. And, and so my earliest writing was in spirituality, which I saw as the way to kind of answer the desires of the human heart. But, but pretty quickly, something happened that actually I found appalling, which was that um, when I wrote my first and, and second books, um, they were described as self-help books. And, and I was just appalled by that. I, mean, I, I never thought of theology or philosophy as self-help, let alone spirituality. I just, I, you know, and, and, you know, without getting too much into the weeds, um, you know, this was during the period of the early, well, you know, early, you know, 2000s. Spirituality was the juggernaut in the publishing industry that, um, you know, just was nobody expected this. Uh, but it was understood as this kind of self-help thing. And I just, again, I was appalled by that idea because it, it struck me as, you know, trying to get to something that's deep and true and, you know, the most authentic part of ourselves, you know, the part that loves, the part that desires, the part that suffers, the part that seeks meaning. And so I was just really struck by how reductionist that approach was. And so, you know, from there, I think there was this kind of yearning to ask the question, well, how do I then connect this to, to something that's just more... In, in people's lives and about connecting people. So I, I think of that as almost like, you know, this was the radar that I was putting out there um, and, and really kind of asking God, you know, what do I do about this? Fast forward years later, I got involved with um, uh, a charity organization um, that, that does amazing work uh, in um, small Catholic communities around the country, especially in poor areas. It's called Catholic Extension. I eventually went to work for them for three years. I left academia. And I think just because there was this desire to, to really get back to something about, you know, what's really happening in people's lives. And Catholic Extension, um, I, I think, has the great wisdom of recognizing that it is not always the case that the great advances and the great, you know, stories that are to be told are happening on Wall Street or Madison Avenue, or in my case, you know, on a campus like Boston College. They're happening in small towns, villages, you know, areas that are kind of, I think, wrongly described as flyover country. And, and in this work, I really recognized what kind of heroism there was out there. And it just gave me this kind of appetite for, you know, where were the stories of, of amazing things happen? So I met just an you know, incredible number of, of, of great, great human beings. Fast forward again, um, Max organization was nominated for its annual award in 2019. And so I went to investigate it, brought a team there. And within about two minutes of Max starting to speak, I said, wait a minute, there's something else going on here. There is something else going on here. And I was just absolutely fascinated. Community Renewal, his organization won what's called the Lumen Christi Award from Catholic Extension. Um, this was a national recognition of uh, making a difference in faith communities and, and social change. A year later, I just emailed him out of the blue and I said, this is just an amazing story, Max. Somebody's got to write the book about this because if nobody else is doing it, I'll do it. You know, I was just I was so taken by this story. Um, and, and, and that was the beginning of my engagement with Mac and then with Community Renewal and, and really just wanting to tell this story. And I'll just uh, mention one last thing uh, before throwing it back to you, Brian. Um, one of the kind of mottos uh, that had been abroad in Catholic Extension during my years there was uh, the, uh, the the words um, that you find in the uh, 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 in the gospel. Um, you know, what good can come out of Nazareth? You know, this this kind of you know, like you know, oh my gosh, what you know, nothing happens, nothing happens in Nazareth, and and you know, there's going to be an attitude. I think of some people like nothing good happens in Shreveport. Um, you know, this, 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 I can, you know, I can say now because I, you know, I, cause I love Mac. I love the folks that are, that are there. I've been back many times, but you know, I live in Boston and I live, you know, and I teach at Boston college, you know, so I live in this world, you know, that, that I think very often can fall into a kind of elitism, maybe without not even, you know, wanting to, but the sense that, you know, oh, if it's not front page news, you know, in the Washington post and the LA times, you know, New York times, then, then it can't be that important. And, and what we're saying is, and certainly from my experience, what we're saying is there are amazing things that happen in um, communities that are in this, what, you know, roughly named flyover country. But what's happening in Shreveport, I'm saying, is, is unparalleled. And I've, you know, been in a lot of parts of the country at this point, 
Um, and, and there's nothing like this happening elsewhere. So I really wanted to help give this mm. a megaphone. And, 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 and I'll just say, I'm not just an author. Now I've really become part of really wanting to tell the community renewal story and help, under, uh, help others to uh, understand and get on board. Well, you know, this is such a great fit because, I mean, the whole purpose of How to Heal Our Divides is to build awareness on all these organizations like CRI that are typically under the radar, you know, that just so many people just don't know about. And so, I mean, Mac, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what CRI's mission is and what its model is and, and why it works. Oh, yeah, I'll be more than happy to do that, Brian. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, when I arrived back in Shreveport, uh, I actually was uh, was led to uh, to join uh, uh, a, an African American church, and uh, that was that was not of my doing. Um, I just went to visit. I wanted to catch up on the civil rights uh, history of uh, the struggle for civil rights in Shreveport. And I read about the pastor who had been one of the heroes in the civil rights movement in Shreveport, Louisiana. So I went to hear him preach. And at that particular point, uh, following his sermon, and they are singing the what we call the invitation hymn. And they say that the doors of the church are open. Uh, come forward, and at that particular point, God very clearly said to me, join this church, and I was one white face in the midst of a thousand uh, other faces, and um, uh, I very clearly said, uh, no, I'm, you know, and I began to give reasons why they might think I'm a spy, my, my wife is not here with me, I am, uh, you know, I'm uh, all my old friends here in Shreveport, I just moved back. They're going to think, well, there goes McCarter. Uh, but uh, uh, God said, well, you don't have faith. And I remember saying, well, that's a low blow, God. They were. This was all during the hymn, Just As I Am. And so, uh, you know, no one more reluctantly went forward and joined a church. I, and yet that was a, an incredible enfolding experience uh, of love. And uh, uh, I have to say, Brian, uh, you know, the scripture says the lion, the wolf and the lamb shall lie down together. Well, my race had be, has been the wolf to the, the African-American race and those of color. And um, it doesn't ask anything of the wolf to lie down except change your appetite. But it asks everything of the lamb. And to watch uh, that trust and stuff. Uh, of one who has uh, who was representative of a race that was wolf-like uh, to them was the was an amazing uh, gift and change in my life, and so consequently, uh, from that was that was the beginning uh, that, and it wasn't quote in my plan, but you know to go and to do that, and uh, my wife followed, she was also placed uh, in the congregation the same way I was. Um, and I didn't know she was going to join. And so she joined and together uh, it was that when we were, uh, folks put their arms around us that literally ushered us into uh, a way to be bridges of love. And it was, uh, but Again, I was um, reluctantly obedient. I have to really share that, and it wasn't part of the plan. So I, following that experience, I had the experience of I had preached about love, and I really hammered uh, our folks in the pew. We've got to get out of the seats and go to the streets, and um, they, they enjoyed it as much as I did, but I didn't know how to tell them, you know, they would uh, they would depart uh, to the world or you know go forth, and I never figured out where forth was because every Sunday they'd come back and nothing in the world had changed, and we'd hammer away. We got to do this, and so I, I did not have the foggiest idea how to do that. And and just this was the heart of community renewal is that we Shreveport had changed, and I uh, a lot of drugs, etc., a lot of 
drive-by shootings. And so I uh, determined that I was going to see if love worked. I had preached about it for 18 years. I had devoted my life to the kingdom of love, which is the kingdom of God, and didn't really know if indeed it really worked. And so consequently, uh, one of the toughest streets, Lawrence Street, I said, Will, can I get to be friends with folks? I'm a different color. I'm a different socioeconomic uh, level than the folks that live on Lawrence Street. Uh, I'm a stranger to them, and I'm scared to death. So here are four massive uh, obstacles. And on a Saturday morning uh, at 10 o'clock, I drove down to Lawrence Street in March of 1991 and um, uh, with the idea of stopping and beginning to make friends. And uh, I have to tell you, I was scared to death. I got on Lawrence Street and I thought, well, I'll just do a drive-by blessing. Bless you, bless you, bless you. And uh, go on. And But uh, God had other designs and I pulled over opened the car door, and all these kids came running up in front of all of these, what we call shotgun houses. They're like row houses, very impoverished area. And they came running up, and I grabbed them up in my arms and began to knock on doors saying, uh, not many doors open, but, you know, when one did, I'm Magma Carter, and there's a group of us believe if we get to be friends, we can heal this city. And so I went back every single Saturday at 10 o'clock and within three months, and this is true, the folks were sitting on their front porches waiting uh, and, you know, just to sit up and talk and to be friends. And I stayed down there for three years and it didn't change my theology, but it changed my methodology quite radically. And, uh, and it was absolutely the, the gift of their friendship was profound and then I began to see that love actually overcame uh, the difference in color, that it actually overcame the difference in economics. It overcame uh, being a stranger and it overcame fear. And so consequently, um, it was there that we said, you know, uh, if, if that can happen with someone going to a different block, we need to have a model because you have to take a city back block by block. We need a model that can take care of an entire city of 300,000 effectively. And so why go to someone else's block when you can go to your own? And that was, I set out and had a, um, had a two day long retreat with myself and uh, I wanted to break up with myself several times uh, because I wasn't real good company on how we do this. And I'll, I'll, let me just give three things very quickly. But that that relational part, we cannot skip over when I, you know, I, I, of course, I'm in a hurry to get to, quote, the model itself. But unless we understand on an on an atomistic level or a molecular level, that it is precisely there, and we're good at that, uh, that that begins everything. You just can't skip over people in order to get to the program. Uh, it, it, the, the process itself, it becomes the product. And that is, we live, our mission is, of course, that kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. And we are not, uh, we are never uh, let go of, of the imperative of that claim on our lives. I don't know any other reason to live than, than, to, than to do that. And so our mission is to make our world a home where every single child, no matter their age, I had to say that uh, so I could get myself included, can be safe and be loved. And so consequently, that's the mission. Then the question is, how do we do that? And we're going to build a model that literally then can be the expanding wineskins for the new wine of love. And uh, so I sat down and I thought, and, I, and the immediate thing that came to me in that personal retreat was in contemplating how do we take 
these rules of relationships and make them practically applicable for whole cities was the, the image of a swimming pool and how we can clean and make healthy an unhealthy pool. And uh, you have to know what cleans uh, one molecule of H2O. You can't get the pool clean. You can't skip over people. And so you come together, that molecule, and we've got that down really good, even in psychology, et cetera. But we, all of our nonprofits have jumped in the pool. We're madly cleaning molecules. We can show how successful we are. Last year, we had 50 baptisms this year, 100 baptisms, but the pool isn't getting clean. You know, we still have massive, massive uh, dysfunction that's going on. So somebody a lot smarter than me invented what we call a swimming pool filter. And it was that technology that could bring in billions of molecules. You still have to know what cleans one molecule, but if that's all you know, you can't get the pool clean. And so you can also have a system that really looks great. But if it's not cleaning molecules, you know, you're just, you're, it's like a vacuum cleaner. If you ever had a vacuum cleaner that doesn't pick up anything, it really looks great and sounds great, but you're running back and forth over cat hair and never getting it up. And so consequently, um, how, do, how do we develop a system that can literally do that. And then you have to be able to show the sequence that, that does cleanse the molecules, but sends them out with such velocity and with such volume that literally we know that we can now have the social tech, have the technology to clean, clean pools. We can do it. And so consequently, uh, it's just a matter then of ratios. So, so we have three things that we're doing. We, we put those in place, we turn on the switch, and then this process begins. And so we, we actually call it a social technology because we can now take dirty pools and not only clean them to the place that we can swim, we can clean them to the place we can drink the water. And, uh, and even more uh, of the technology there. So consequently, we have three things. One is you've got to start with the individual. Will you commit your life to care for all others? And we're not changing people, Brian. We're actually, we're actually uh, making them visible because the reality of the human race is they're already caring. We, you know, I don't know anyone who won't do a caring act, you know, for someone. We're already caring. We all have the capacity to care. That was a huge realization, is Tim mentioned flyover country, where you can get, you know, some knucklehead gets on a plane in L.A. and then acts the fool you know, over Las Vegas in the plane and they duct tape him to his seat and land in Denver, you know, and arrest him. And he makes news and he has flown over millions of people who are taking cookies to new neighbors who are, you know, looking out for little children who are serving. We don't make the news because we're normal. We, we're, we're the biggest gang in town, and the key is how do we make caring folks visible to one another? So we did something just knucklehead-like, real simple. We started the We Care Team, and folks were already caring. We said, let's just make them visible. We're going to take what is already real. It's already there and make it visible, and you sign a card. You tell one thing you're already doing to help another person and uh, give us your name address. We're going to give you a pin to wear. We're going to put a bumper sticker on your car. I had a great friend, Millard Fuller, who started Habitat for Humanity and Millard loved community renewal. Millard came down. He was like a Baptist preacher. We lost him in 2009. He was a great guy. And he would say in Shreveport, which is the buckle of the Bible Belt, if your car doesn't have a We Care bumper sticker, your car is living in sin. 
and we've got to have saved cars. Well, man, that was like saying sick them to a dog here in Shreveport. Man, we've got to have saved cars. And then we have a, not only bumper stickers, we have we care signs and put them in front of houses. And you would be astonished to drive around Shreveport and quote the highest crime areas. Here are we care signs all over the place because we're the biggest gang in town, but we are disconnected from one another. And so consequently, the, the three things to reconnect is you make a commitment. I will, I will commit my life to care for each and every single human being. But another commitment, I will join together with others who have made their life commitment to care for every single human being because we have been caring uh, in isolation from one another. And the power of then coming together in a caring family or a caring army is unbelievable. That's the first thing. The second is block by block. We call that our Haven House deal. And we're going to train people to go to the people who live on their block and make friends. We have, when I grew up in Shreveport, I knew everybody that lived on my street. They all knew me, and I bet you 10 bucks to a dollar that when you grew up, it was the same. You knew everybody that lived around you. They all knew you. And, uh, and so consequently, uh, we, we were connected together. And now we can email people all over the world, and we don't know who's living and dying five houses down from us. We have gotten disconnected. And so we must reconnect based on our neighborly uh, joy with one another. So we train people in a one-hour training session to become what we call a Haven House uh, leader. And uh, they, put a, they have a special sign that says, We Care, with HH on it. And they go to meet their neighbors and help their neighbors get to know one another. Well, how? Well, we have a million ways, but the best, of course, is throw a party and ask folks to come over and get to know one another. But the key is you've now systematized a great power. You put it in a system. And, and then it, I always say, you know, when you turn on a light, it, you have, it's wonderful, a dark room becomes light, but the photons are diffuse. Uh, but somebody ha has found a way to move through a prism and line up those photons and you make a laser. And by, by making caring intentional, you now have a profound way. And then the third, the third part of this model is how do we help our brothers and sisters trapped in high crime, high poverty areas? And the very best way to do that, I, I love the fact that we send missionaries abroad, but we have to train and equip and send lovers of people uh, to actually move into the highest crime neighborhoods to live with their families and begin to leaven using the We Care team and the Haven House deal, begin to leaven entire neighborhoods. So we call that our friendship house. We build houses that are like community centers, disguised as houses. They have a big room in there for the whole community. And we right now we're in a place where we can go in in a 40-square-block area, literally what we call revillageize that area. And that's where we have an incredible metric that the Shreveport Police Department uh, came and found, uh, did a 20-year, they've done a 20-year longitudinal study uh, and this is going to blow your mind. It still blows my mind. They did it without our knowledge. And then they reported it to us is that in our friendship house neighborhoods, uh, all crime has fallen an average of uh, 50. Well, all crime had fallen an average of 51 percent, mm. but major crime has fallen over 54 percent. Mm. And in some areas, as much as 70 percent. And uh, th wow. those are not our statistics, it is astonishing to see. So those three things together, the mm. re We Care team, that's the individual commitment, joining together the molecular part uh, of that, and now we're part of an army. Then the Haven House leaders, we've got over 5,000 
that we have trained at Haven wow. House. No, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's it's fifteen hundred. Our goal is five thousand. Sixteen hundred we've trained and dispersed those. So we have about seventy thousand people in a caring system in Shreveport, and then our friendship house uh, areas. We've got uh, we're building our eleventh friendship house mm-hmm. now, and uh, our folks move in. Remarkable human beings, uh, Brian. And so, uh, so that's that's where we are. That's kind of the model. And I'm sorry to take so long. It takes a little time. I have to have if it's an elevator speech, I've got to have the Sears Tower, man. <laughs> we, wow. we got well, to you know, nothing. It's in the book. Let's just put it. It's all in the book. Good. Good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, anything that's that um, of an intractable intractable problem, right? I mean, that, that that's how a yeah. lot of people would view this, you know, um, yeah. without being familiar with it, is that, you know, it's just something that is so complex and so challenging that, you know, to be able to devise, you know, a solution, so to speak, um, can't be just a straightforward one-liner. <laughs> right. Yeah, and Brian, just to put this in, in some perspective, um, the original neighborhood in which uh, the first Friendship House was was planted had uh, something like two homicides a week, you know, before any of this had ever happened back in the 80s. CBS Sunday Morning did a, a story about community renewal and focused on just what kind of a transformation we're talking about. So we're really talking about an entire remaking of uh, that neighborhood. And, and obviously that's related to the title of the book. So so we're really talking about a, a, a story of remarkable transformation. Obviously there are some intermediate steps. And again, we talk about it in the book, but but this is a wholesale transformation that's beginning at the relational level. And to me, that was that was really the genius that captured my attention when I was first doing that due diligence of community renewal back in 2019, is that it wasn't just another program, you know, because we've all heard of programs, government programs, you know, social work programs, et cetera. Programs are fine, you know, and, and some of them work better than others. But, but, you know, what Mac was, was really intuiting was that unless you understand what's happening at the most basic level, it's not going to work. And the most basic level is, is one human being reaching out to another human being. And, and so if you understand the dynamics of relationship, then, you know, that, that image of that, that pool filter analogy starts to really make sense. And it's what gives us some confidence to say, look, it happened in Allendale, which was the name of that first neighborhood. And it's happened since in other neighborhoods of Cedar Grove and um, and and now the latest one in the MLK neighborhood uh, in Shreveport. So it's happened, you know, multiple times in this context, and and so we can start to see then how that same model then can can you know be transplanted into other contexts, and 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 we're starting to see that now in in these replication sites uh, in, in other places. So we're we're just very excited yeah. about you know how this yeah. works. And, and that's exactly right, Tim. And, you know, the great thing is people say, well, it, you know, it's working in Shreveport, but that's the South. Does it work everywhere? Well, the, the key is what do, what do folks as human beings, we all need love and we all need to love one another. That's how we're wired. And uh, I, we just uh, finished building the International House of Friendships in Western Cameroon. We have folks coming from the villages of Cameroon uh, saying we to Shreveport saying we never dreamed that we could come to Shreveport, Louisiana and learn uh, things we need to learn about village life and take it back because we're all human beings. And uh, that's the, the, the great thing that we share in common. And all we have to do is to adjust methodology but the but the fundamentals are all there and i and i might add the fact that you know uh that this not only can can travel in that way it it has a profound effect on all of our lives because we have seen our richest neighborhoods now partner with our most impoverished neighborhoods through what we call purposeful friendship because we're all there with the same purpose and we can now recognize one another. We can celebrate our differences, of course, but when we see we care pins or we care stickers, we immediately feel 
one. And this is going to blow your mind because when I moved to Shreveport, you know, I, I, I felt like our largest problem was how do we bring together blacks and whites in Shreveport, Louisiana? Well, shoot, man, that has been eclipsed by how do we bring together Republicans and Democrats? And, and, and this is absolutely true. You know, I, if, as, the, as Jerry Clower used to say, if I'm lying, I'm dying. <laughs> and uh, this is absolutely true. We have Republicans and Democrats who I know would give their lives for one another. Now, they still have their convictions of their political persuasion, but they are joined together in one common cause to care for one another. And uh, that well, is, is exactly what we need more of. <laughs> absolutely. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So, and just to you know, amplify this this point that Max making, um, you know, part of my own intuition about this early on was, you know, we've we've become and, and this is not at all news, but we've become so individualized, you know. So, you know, I, I can, you know, talk about any number of studies that that demonstrate how much of uh, an individualized society we've become. Um, one theor theorist who's written about this very eloquently is Robert Putnam, uh, with whom Mac shared the stage when when they were named Citizens of the Year. Um, you know, because because Mac is 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 you know seeing this in the context of community renewal, how it is healing that tendency to pull apart from one another. You know that that we have to, in some sense, come back together precisely because that's what answers the deepest de desire of the human heart. So again, getting that right on the most basic level is, is what ultimately yields the confidence to say, it's not just a you know Republican problem or a Democrat problem. It's not just a racial problem. It is a fundamental human problem that all of us in the United States are facing. But if we get it right, yes, it is going to create friendships that cross the racial divide. Yes, it is going to create friendships that transform the political acrimony that's tearing our country apart. Yes, it's going to remake neighborhoods and create, you know, oases where children can thrive, where adults can thrive, and ultimately where we're just increasing the quality of our lives as citizens. And so, um, how many friendship houses are there in Shreveport then, roughly? We're, we're building our 11th friendship house. And okay. in, in our areas, we always build two friendship houses in a 40 square block area. Mm. And we begin to win trust by serving. And we begin by serving the most precious possessions of the neighborhood, the children and the youth. So we open the doors in one for uh, after school for mm. K-5 through fifth grade, and then in the other for, for the youth, middle school and high school, every day after school. And that begins to build the trust of the parents, et cetera. Mm. And then we move the We Care team uh, membership and then training block leaders and continuing. our We call them, our folks that move in, we call them community coordinators. And they are there to give caring but they're there also to be uh, coordinators of caring, uh, enabling enabling neighbor to reach neighbor, and it's it's natural. It's who we are as human beings. It's mm -hmm. how we've been made as human beings. I have to say this: that Samuel Johnson, you know, that great man of letters, uh, actually the second most quoted. Uh, uh, man of letters in the English language outside of Shakespeare. I don't know how that happens, but I read that. And Samuel Johnson, uh, when he was 16, his uncle Cornelius, who was all of 26, told him, Samuel, most intelligent people study the leaves and the limbs of a tree all their life. You grab the trunk and you can shake all of the leaves and all of the limbs at once. Well, that really is what I've discovered. The trunk of all of the Rube, what appears to be a Rubik's cube of solutions that, that hasn't really, really done trunk grabbing. It gets right to the place of let us come together, you know, in loving relationships nourished 
by those who've been set free to kind of be the the uh, physicians of relationships and uh, of souls and just continue to nourish that. We need a group of full-time nourishers, you know, using the model and then begin to go on. And I, we don't claim to have everything. When I, I, I'm so old, Brian, when I took chemistry, the only, the atom only had three parts, the proton, <laughs> electron, and neutron. That was it. Well, that's true. But it wasn't the whole truth. And right now, we're kind of at the electron, proton, and neutron. That's true. But it isn't the whole truth. Mm. We need everybody to add to this so that ultimately, it, and it might be 10,000 years to go, but ultimately the human race will become immune to hatred. It will become immune to all of the things that would separate us and divide us. And it will be living in an empathy of love for one another that we could barely recognize simply as, as kind of pilot lights within this, uh, each of our lives that can become a furnace. Well, I've started preaching. I can't help it. (laughs) (laughs) So um, how far has this gone outside of, Shreveport. Now, I shouldn't say how far, but how broadly. Are there friendship houses in other communities? Yes. Okay. So what are yeah. the cities in the United States? Yeah. Yeah. We actually, the, the model uh, has actually been fully reproduced in a county seat town, Shawnee, Oklahoma, hmm. where they are right next to the largest uh, uh reservation for native americans uh their county line abuts the the reservation and uh they now have built their second friendship house and it was actually built by the shawnee tribe uh they they were the ones and there had been conflict as you could well imagine forever and ever they came in and they built the the second friendship house and so uh we had that and they, they were Friendship Houses in Abilene, Texas, and then we're at various stages moving into that. Uh, Actually, we had mentioned, you know, 11 places, but it's now up to 20 of folks that said, we want to bring aboard the model. And it's, you know, it's kind of a slow pull. And then we have Friendship Houses uh, actually in uh, southern Nigeria and in uh, western Cameroon. So, um, uh, and that it's just a wonder to see. So we're still very much, you know, kind of like that first well that Edwin Drake drilled in Titusville, Pennsylvania. You know, we've got it going and it and it's working. Now we need to everybody to jump in and help make it better. Well, it's just an amazing story. Um, and, you know, I really appreciate you guys putting it into the form of a book because, I mean, at least personally, I wouldn't have known about it. Uh, without, you know, having learned about the book through Orbis. And, you know, which is a shame. It's exactly what you said. We see the wrong things on the evening news. And, you know, we need to have a a different kind of a news network, I think. But that's a whole other story. Um, But we need to be able to learn, you know, and spread the word about all these kinds of good things that are happening that just get underappreciated. So yeah, but I, I mentioned um, the CBS Sunday morning video, and I'll just mention one quick story that uh, that obviously also, you know, put out the reach of what Community Renewal has been doing. Uh, and, and one immediate fruit of that uh, was related to this 11th Friendship House that's being built now. It caught the attention of the CEO of Kansas City Southern Railroad, and he was just super excited about this, and they have a strong presence in Shreveport. Long story short, it is, it's Kansas City Southern that is contributing to the building of this 11th Friendship House. So, you know, it was, it was one way that putting the word out there yielded uh, a, a you know, relatively uh, quick, um, immediate result. Um, you know, my sense was, yeah, we need this book because I, I would like more and more people to to understand this and, and really, you know, kind of get them excited about the capacity. Because you're right. I mean, if if what we're immersed in on a daily basis are effectively stories that are anomalies. We need to be constantly reminded of what are the regular stories. Again, yeah. people caring for each other and that genius of, of recognizing that we just have to keep that visible 
and 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 then kind of watch the creativity that happens you know so i you know from where i sit i don't imagine that the way that it's replicated in other places so mac mentioned shawnee and 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 of course what's happening in cameroon which is a fantastic story nigeria but these stories are going to be different because the the situations the communities themselves are different this is not a corporate structure where you know there's going to be planting a franchise you know it's going to be lighting a fire and allowing people's individual creativity to say, hey, yeah, we can care for one another. And here's how we're going to do it in our local circumstance. Mm -hmm. So th that's already starting to happen. I mean, even in the early returns from this book launch, I'm already in conversation with another city that's really starting to think through what might this look like in, in our neighborhoods. So I'm very excited to see that process move forward. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and it's true. We, you know, we, there there has to be the uniformity of principle, uh, but that uniformity of principle then enables wonderful uh, mass customization. Absolutely. We might say. And so, uh, I, you know, listen, I would, I, I, I am just right now with uh, however many witnesses we've got, 10,000 witnesses. Uh, Brian, I'm inviting you to come to Shreve. I'd love you to come and see. <laughs> I really would. I'd yeah, yeah. That we'd have a. Let's ball. figure that out. And I just think that would be great. Not trying to put you on the spot, buddy. No, no, no. That's okay. I mean, there's several things no, I'd like to follow up with you guys on. You know, um, yeah. We'll talk about that later. Sure. Uh, in the mean, in the meantime. Everybody go out and buy this book. Um, again, the title is How Do We Make the World Neighborhood by Neighborhood? And uh, OrbusBooks.com, you know, is where you can go go get it. Um, Tim, I have a visual aid. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Tim and Mac, thank you so much for, you know, spending the time to, to share this with us and um, obviously to do the book. And uh, I definitely will help you get the word out about this and uh, want to uh, follow up with you on several several uh, directions so uh, for now thanks very much for joining us thank you thank Brian. you Brian. been a pleasure thank you tim thanks